0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you might be. My name is Rob. I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Gretna Brethren Church, and I'm so thankful that you are joining us. If you've been watching us for a while, and you've seen me film in here, this is my office, um, you notice I I have a guitar, up that shoulder, I have a guitar (laughs) hanging behind me. And, you know, guitar is one of those things that I play at. I, I really enjoy doing it, but I wouldn't call myself good at it. Uh, but but if you've gone back to some of our other videos, it used, the guitar hanging on that wall used to be a different one. This is just a, a guitar that honestly was here at the church when I got here, um, and I get to play with it sometimes. But I, on the wall before was a guitar that actually I built. It was uh, designed to look like a Les Paul, and uh, I thought it was really pretty. And I still think it was a really pretty guitar because God did a great job with the wood, the spalted maple that it it was made out of. And while God did a great job with the way it looked, here's the reality of it. Rob didn't do such a great job with the way he put it together. And so that guitar is now in pieces and will probably be thrown to the curb (laughs) because I need a second chance. I need another try at this and the truth is full disclosure if you went over to my house right now and looked in my garage which is which is where i do most of my woodworking you would see this these two big boxes of scraps that are essentially mistakes errors made things that i built and then decided later didn't work the way i wanted them to work or look the way i wanted them to look and so i would take them apart you know my my journey with woodworking, and it is that because I would not go so far as to call myself a woodworker, is really in some ways a matter of trial and error. I make mistakes and then I, I try again. And I, I do it differently this time. I take what I've learned and I try to do it better. And it really is one of the reasons I think I love doing it as, as a hobby is that I get a chance to try things over and over and over again until I feel good about them right until I'm comfortable with yes this is where I, what I wanted to have or or close enough to it right that this is what I wanted to turn out or how I wanted to turn out but if only life <laughs> were like woodworking that would be fabulous because there are so many things in in life especially you know, I think they kind of pile up over time where you can look back and say, I wish I would have done something differently or this didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. And and I don't know about you, but I have found myself at various times saying, I wish I had a second chance. All right, Because if, if I was able to have a second chance to do some things, wow. Um, I definitely would have proposed to my wife better <laughs> than I did. I definitely wouldn't have bought those gutter guards that I put on the house in Indiana. What a waste of money that was. I definitely would have unsaid some things or said some things to people very, very differently that sometimes did not come from a mean heart. I just didn't phrase my words well and it would hurt them. Or because my motivations for saying some of the things I did in retrospect were not my best moments. They were not my best times. I would definitely say I'm sorry more because pride keeps me from saying I'm sorry sometimes. And I definitely would change the way I did some things. I probably would spend more time with my children when they were little because those are opportunities I don't get back. Those are second chances I don't get. Unfortunately, I don't have a DeLorean. (laughs) With a Mr. Fusion Home Energy um, reactor <laughs> that will allow me to travel back in time. And so I'm left with regrets sometimes. Regrets on on of things that I could not change. And and what I want to clarify something here. There's a, a difference between remorse and regret. Remorse being means being sorry for the moment itself and and definitely. I've got some things I wish I hadn't said, and I was remorseful for those. But the idea behind regretting is that it, it goes further. It is sorrow over not the moment itself, but the inability to go back and change it. And as regrets happen in life, as we make mistakes, I think there are several ways that you can handle them. In several, and several, some of these are things I'm good at, too. I think you can ignore them. I think you can ignore the things that you've done and, and act like that's they've never happened. <laughs> and, and that's a bad plan for a number of reasons, not the least of which is if I ignore something, pretend like it didn't happen, I'm kind of doomed to do it again. I'm kind of doomed to repeat it because I've, I've downplayed a mistake. I've downplayed a moment that I could have learned from and grown from maybe maybe you're someone who who rationalizes the mistakes you've made i made I made the decision I made with all the information I had. It was the right decision, and I stand by it and to be sure, there are some decisions that are like that that you are just doing your best to make the decision that you need to make in this time in this place with what you currently know but if i'm I'm being frank, you know there are decisions that I've made in my life where I wasn't in that place where I made the decision I wanted to make, knowing it was maybe not the decision I should have made. But we could really easy rationalize that away, that 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 motivator away, and find ourselves dialed into the notion that that I said what I said, I did what I did, and it was the right thing to do, and I stand by it. And and that's that's unfortunate because that breeds a a hardened heart, a heart that is unable to see our own errors, and sometimes unable to forgive others for their mistakes and their regrets. We could dwell on them. I see so many people, including myself at times in my life, that dwell on the mistakes that we've made. They kind of We kind of replay them in, in, in our heads and go, I wish I had what if I had done this differently or that differently or or something else differently and 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 I can't believe I did that. I can't believe what that caused. You know, that, that creates or raises anxiety in our hearts. I saw a study recently that said up to one third of all the anxiety we feel in our on our in our lives is around our regrets and it's around dwelling on those thoughts of what if? What if I had done something Differently. What if I had said it differently, acted differently, spoken differently, felt differently? Whatever the case may be, those regrets can really drive up our anxiety levels, and and probably at their worst, what they begin to do is is foster a depression that, that gets us feeling like we're not worthy of anything. Right? We've messed up. You can have so many regrets. You've messed up so many times that you're just not worthy of love, you're not worthy of friendship, and, and I've seen people begin to push their friends away because they just, you don't need to be around me, I'm not worth it, right? And they're, they're replaying these things in their head and not allowing themselves to move on. But I, I think there's one other way that is truly a second chance, it's truly a second op- opportunity to move on from our regrets, to allow them to have the place they should have in our lives, and reminding us as moments we can learn from and grow from and things that we can teach others, but recognizing that they do not have to define who we are moving forward. They do not have to change our relationship with God, the one that he wants us to have with him. They do not have to keep us from being worthy of his love. Because can I tell you a secret? None of us are worthy of his love. No, not one. It doesn't matter if we have one regret or a thousand regrets or no regrets because we're just rationalizing them or ignoring them. The fact of the matter is we are worthy of his love, not by our own works, but by him saying we are. It's that simple. And that's, that's the second chance that I think when we're really beating ourselves up, when we're really fine that we have these, these, these regrets in our lives that are kind of piling on us and holding us down and keeping us from seeing him for who he is, I think that is what keeps us from seeing and reaching into and, and grasping onto that second chance that comes through Jesus Christ. You know, because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, we have a second chance. We have a second chance to be free of these regrets. We have a second chance to be at peace. We have a second chance to be loved when we think we're unlovable, and we have a second chance to be a shining light in a world where maybe we haven't been light at all. And in fact, in some cases, some of us could probably say we have been the source of darkness. The problem, though, there is that sometimes we're not willing to forgive ourselves long enough. Because truthfully, we might not be willing to forgive somebody else if they've done this list of things to us. And that's where the overpowering love of Jesus Christ comes into play. We're going to read the story of such a person today who found a second chance in Jesus Christ. It's going to be in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 um, about Zacchaeus. If you've heard the the song that's sung in many churches, the wee little man Zacchaeus, we're going to read about him today and the second chance that he found in Jesus Christ and what he had to do to embrace it. To embrace it. So let's let's read. We're going to do it in sections. Let's start in Luke 19. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible today. It says this, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd, since he was a short man so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, and he was, since he was about to pass that way, <laughs> he was too short to see over the crowd. Can I just tell you, <laughs> that is near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I can identify with this man right out of the gate. Um, if you've ever been to, uh, if you're short, and you've ever been to a concert or something, it's or been to see somebody or trying to catch a glimpse of them and you're standing in a crowd of normal-sized people even, it's really frustrating because you're trying to look one way or look the other way or stadium seating is the best thing that ever happened to short people, right? Because we can see over the people in front of us. Because without that, the truth is, it's kind of hard sometimes. And it can make you just want to give up. And I certainly have. I've certainly given up and said, I'm just not going to see this show. I'm just going to have to listen to it. And maybe somebody will tell me later because my neck hurts. I'm tired of craning or trying to figure out how to get to it. But it can give you this feeling of, of, like you're looking on an event that you're supposed to be participating in, it can give you this feeling that you're on the outside of it looking in, that it's, it's, it's you're a foreigner in the midst of it. And I think Zacchaeus could easily have been in a place where he felt that way. As a, as a Roman tax collector, he was a, a citizen, a Jewish citizen, um, because the Romans did not hire or use their own people to do these things. What they would do is recruit people from the the areas that they had conquered and make them collect taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire. The idea being, if you don't see us directly doing it, then maybe it's more palatable to you. Well, it's not more palatable. <laughs> they worked for the, the Roman government, and the truth is they had to bid for the job so this was a as it says he was a rich man well it's because you had to be rich to be a tax collector because what you did was you agreed to pay usually another person who was higher up on the chain a fee to allow you to have that role well why did that matter well because tax collectors were responsible for rec- for collecting a certain amount of money. The Romans had a set number every week, every month, every year that you had to collect for them. And as long as you collected that number, the truth is the Romans didn't care how much more you collected. And so a tax collector would often add fees. They would add fees, they would add charges, they would add all kinds of things that were just about lining their pockets. And so if you were wealthy enough to buy into this job, it was really an opportunity to have more wealth coming out of the job. On the other side, you could be a whole lot wealthier than you were when you even started. And so they were hated, hated by the Jews. They were hated by common Jews because here are the rich getting richer while we have nothing, all because they're serving the people that are that are dominating us, that have taken over us, they're oppressing us. They saw them as as unclean because they were doing this thing that was an affront to their own people. They saw them as as traitors. And the Jewish community, the, the legal people within the Jewish community, the, the the Sanhedrin and the other entities, didn't actually did not allow their testimonies, the testimony of a tax collector, to be valid in court. That's how untrustworthy they were considered to be. And the truth is, the Jewish leaders of the time, the people who were leading the people of God, considered them to be unredeemable. There was nothing about them that would allow them to become spiritually clean, to to repent of their sins, right? Or to make up for their sins. There was no second chance, no opportunity, no option. You're done, you're out You're unworthy and there's no way in. And again, as I said before, I think that's the place that we can get to sometimes in our lives where we we feel that way. We feel like we've messed up so many times that we just can't, there's no way. Why would God ever give me an opportunity to get close to him again? And we see Zacchaeus, this man who could easily be in that place, just just trying to get a glimpse of who he was, right? not even making a commitment yet, just just trying to understand what this who this Jesus person is, what this opportunity is, what this second chance is to come to know God to be in relationship with God. This glimmer of hope. And what's really amazing about this, and I think sometimes this is the place where we give up, right? I said before, when I'm watching a concert and I I can't see, and eventually there's a time when I finally just go forget it. I'm not going to get to see the whole thing. He didn't give up. But it's really interesting what he did. He tried to see Jesus was coming to him, right? He was coming to his home, coming right by his house. He tried to see Jesus and couldn't. But instead of just saying, well, I'm out of luck, instead he went to where Jesus was heading. He went in front of where he saw Jesus traveling. And he said, wherever he's going to be, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there and I'm going to grab a better vantage point. I'm going to climb in the tree and watch him work and watch him walk and listen to him and just see who he is, see what he's about. And so we we find him, right, running, essentially, it sounds like, to his front door, right above his house or somewhere close to it. Because in in the next verse, in verse 5, it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. And so he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. You know, another short man problem. Let me speak again in my context, right? I uh, believe it or not, I loved when I was younger to play basketball. I played basketball all the time. Um, sorry, mom and dad, I skipped a lot of college college classes to play basketball, <laughs> and and um, I made it eventually, but I'm still sorry. It's one of those regret things. But you know, when you're you're in an open gym and you and there's you know, 20 guys or even 10, let's say 10 so you can play five on five, there's 10 guys there. Honestly, you look around the gym and you go, okay, the tall guy is probably going first. And the short guy is probably getting picked last. For, for Zacchaeus, this is like he's first pick. Jesus has said, you, we're having lunch at your house. You picked me first? you, you had all these other options and you're eating at my house, In my case, you had all these other options and I'm playing first, giddy up, let's go, right? He's so excited, he jumps out of the tree and he's off and running and going, this is amazing. And really all he had to do were, is go where Jesus was going and be seeking him. Go where Jesus was heading and be watching for him And Jesus met him where he was. Jesus saw him and calls him out of a tree and says, I need to have lunch with you. He had to have been astonished. Brendan Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, uses that word. He says, we should all be astonished at the goodness of God, stunned that he would bother to call us by his name, our mouths wide open at his love, bewildered, that at this very moment we are standing on holy ground because God is present but there's a problem there's a problem listen in verse 7 it says all who began who saw it began to complain he's going to stay with a sinful man this is an indictment of both Jesus and Zacchaeus right They're calling into question whether or not this is, remember, this is the people of God calling into question whether or not God would reach out to this person who was unredeemable, who was unworthy. Why would he choose to spend time with someone who isn't worth the air they're breathing? But it's also an indictment of Zacchaeus, right? Again, he's unredeemable. He's not good enough. He's got too many sins. And I think this is this is a lie. Again, a lie we tell ourselves. A lie that that we hear whispered in our ears, right? That, that if we we were to ever walk into a church door, that I've heard the joke, right? If I walk into a church door, it's gonna burst into flame immediately, right? All the mistakes that I've made, all the things I've done, and yet yeah, it's, it's funny to say that, but it's not true. It's just not true. And that that perspective kind of feeds into the lie that Satan wants us to believe that we aren't worthy. Even though Jesus has said to this sinful man who is broken and busted and according to everybody else, unredeemable, right? And he said to him, no, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to have lunch at your house. Greg Laurie uh, says this about about this idea, this perspective that we're not worthy, that it's, it's a lie from Satan himself, that we allow ourselves to hear. But he says it this way. He says, the next time the devil tempts you to think that you are not worthy to approach God, here's what I advise. Agree. Agree. Say, you're right. I'm not worthy to approach God. I was never worthy to approach God, which by the way, again ain't none of us are. I would I will never be worthy to approach God. My access to God's presence is not based on my worthiness, it is based on what Christ did for me on the cross. Jesus has has come to Zacchaeus despite his brokenness, despite his sinfulness, and even though everyone around him might not agree that he could be redeemed, and even though he might not believe himself that he could be redeemed, Jesus has told him, no, I'm coming to eat with you. I'm coming to be connected with you, and I will be seen with you, and I will be in your house with you. Zacchaeus does something that I think all of us should do at this moment, that we sometimes are afraid to do or believe we'll get judged for doing or believe that we just can't do. And that's take advantage of that opportunity. Embrace the opportunity that God has shown up literally in his life at his doorstep, literally invited him into his family, before all to see publicly because he loves him. And and Zacchaeus embraces that as he clamors down from the tree, as he hears all the people saying, all the naysayers, and even the devil himself kind of tempting him to to believe, no, you're not worthy. Zacchaeus says, okay, okay, check this out in verse 8. He says, okay, but Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, look, I'll give up half my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted, extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. And, and Jesus doesn't say, go do that right now and then I'll bring you salvation. You know what he says next in verse nine? He says, today, right here, right now, salvation has come to this house because he is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. The truth is that if you feel like you are lost, and if you believe you are unworthy to be part of God's family, that you are unworthy of being saved, that you are unredeemable, guess what? Jesus came for you came for you just as he came for me and what I want to encourage you today to do is to one yeah admit that you've got regrets yeah admit that you've got sins and you've you've made mistakes and you've done things you shouldn't have done we all have every last one of us has but, but I want to encourage you to say, yeah, I've done it. Jesus, if I could undo it, I would. And anything I can to undo it, I will. And just like he told Zacchaeus, he will tell you today, salvation has come to this house. And you too will be a son of Abraham because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. And oh, one more thing. If you need help growing in your connection to Jesus or just believing that you are worthy of his love, drop us a note, call the church, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram we will respond. Our hope is to help you pursue God as we pursue him as well.